Ken Weisberg with you. Flying solo tonight due to the storm. I'm the only one that made it into the studio, I guess, because of the inclement weather. I know that uh, Stephanie wasn't going to be in. I knew Matt Cost wasn't going to be in. Matt Moni's probably stuck in his driveway trying to get here. That's what happens when you live on an island. You become snow-locked when weather hits like this. So hopefully everybody's doing well out there. Hopefully everybody's okay, and we'll have some storm updates for you uh, throughout the program. For all of you listening outside of the South Coast area, and for all of you listening via podcast after the fact, watching on Spooky TV, maybe you're feeling like you know, storm news is either not for you or outdated. But our primary obligation is to the WBSM audience, and that includes keeping them up to date with any storm-related information, closings, and all of that. And I can tell you that right now, the last weather report that I saw said that the storm is going to start tapering off. It looks like the snow is already... Uh, lightening up anyway. You know, it's not the big, thick, heavy stuff it was earlier. But it is wet and heavy snow that's out there. So when you do start shoveling, be careful. And I uh, I made it all the way here. And I parked in the parking lot. I'm currently the only person in the parking lot, I believe. Which means that when the plows come, they'll just push all the snow right up against my truck. And I won't be able to leave. But that's all right, because then you can have snow information all night. And the storm here was not nearly as bad as it was further down the Atlantic. But uh, I can tell you that, you know, as of right now, where I live in Wareham, I'm just talking to a neighbor, and he's got about 11 inches in his backyard on the deck railing. So it's a little bit more than they were pretty, you know, it had fluctuated around. The last I had heard yesterday was going to be three to six inches, which was cool with me, totally cool with me. If there had to be snow, keep it to three inches, but... Turns out it's gonna it's gonna be more than a foot by the time all is said and done. Plus the drifts and all that, so uh, there'll be some digging out tomorrow. But uh, speaking of digging, thank you for tuning in because you dig the paranormal. We appreciate that. Uh, that is what we talk about here on Spooky South Coast each and every Saturday night. We have been off the air for the last two weeks because of NFL football, but we are back and we are ready. Coming up next Saturday night, it's going to be our tenth anniversary. So that's going to be a huge show. Tonight, of course, you know, we're going to keep things pretty loose because we weren't sure there was going to be a show with the weather. Uh, had the storm stayed as bad as it had been, had it stayed to the point where uh, we were going to need constant information and updates all night long, then we probably would have just gone with complete storm coverage. So tonight you have just me, and I have you. And you can give us a call at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers that you can always reach us at during the program. But now, in the time that we've been gone, while the football games were airing in our place, WBSM has added an outstanding new feature for you to communicate with us, and that would be the text line, the WBSM text line. And I say that, I stress that, because... That text line is only available to to Spooky South Coast during the program. So the rest of the week, if you have something that you want to text to us, save it for Saturday nights when we're on the air. Now, what is that text line, you ask? Well, the number is 67664. 67664. So open up your phone. Open up a a new contact in in your contacts 
uh, in your phone book there and uh, and make a new contact. Call it maybe WBSM text line or Spooky South Coast text line and enter in the number 67664, and you can text us during the show. We can see them on the computer, and we can reply either on the air or we can reply to you via text. So if you have a question for our guests that you don't feel comfortable calling in and asking and you don't have access to Twitter, which, of course, you can always tweet us at SpookySC or use the hashtag SpookyAlive and we'll see it. But if you know if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you don't have access to that, you can always just text us your questions, your thoughts at 67664. But there's only one caveat to that. If you do text us, you have to begin your text with the letters WBSM. So if you text us anything, please put WBSM at the beginning of your text so that we make sure that it filters to us directly. Because there's all different kinds of other aspects to this text software. That will make sure that it filters right into the screen that we can see while we're on the air. So text WBSM to 67664 if you want to reach out via that method at any time during the show. I'm excited about that because I think it opens up a whole new way for people to communicate with us. Of course, the good old-fashioned way is always the best way as well. And all week long, I've been getting emails, which you can send to us at SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. But I've been getting emails for the last couple weeks asking us, what's up with SpookySouthCoast.com? We haven't been on the air. We haven't had new podcasts in two weeks. And now our website is down. People think that Spooky South Coast has gone away, but that is not the case. Not at all, not by a long shot. The, of course... We had no new shows to update because of the football games. But uh, the website is currently down as we are redesigning it, heading into our 10th anniversary. We're trying to make it a little bit more user-friendly. Because every time we start off with a new website design, we always plan on making it as user-friendly as possible. And we usually do a pretty good job of that right at the beginning. But we start adding so many things in that it becomes clunky. And I think that right now, you know, Mac Costa is trying to get rid of a lot of that clutter and simplify everything in a, in a layout that works for all the different avenues that we have for people to enjoy the show and, and interact with the show. So he's working on it, and in order to put into effect some of his designs, and because he has to work on it around working his jobs, he just took the site down and put a placeholder up in its place. So we will have the website back up and running, at least maybe some semblance of it heading into next week's show, uh, because we are going to uh, be celebrating the fact that we are in you know we're celebrating our 10th anniversary but in the meantime if you still want to see the show you want to watch the show via our in-studio webcams i only set up one tonight because it's just me here but uh if you want to still watch the show while you're listening to it you can go to spookytv.com so instead of going to spookysouthcoast.com slash spookytv matt costa went out and purchased spookytv.com and that will send you directly to the streaming video for Spooky South Coast while we're on the air. And when we're not on the air, it runs an old episode. But at least right now, you should be able to see me. See me in my beard. Getting a lot of compliments on the beard. But uh, you you should be able to see us now on Spooky TV at SpookyTV.com. And also, you can follow along with the Twitter conversation there as well. Uh, anytime you want to tweet us during the show, use the hashtag SpookyLive. And it will feed into that text window, that, that, that window on the side. And we'll be able to see those tweets as well. We'll all be able to. I'm going to try. 
And, and if you're watching on Spooky TV, you're going to see me looking at the computer. You're going to see me looking at the board. You're going to see me looking at my phone. You're going to see me looking at the laptop off to my side, the other two computers over to my other side. Don't be offended if you call in. Don't think that I'm not paying attention. Just so many things to keep up to date with here. And, and first and foremost, I'm trying to keep up with any new cancellations or, or any storm changes or any information that comes in. So just bear with me. But I think that there's a lot to talk about uh, in terms of the paranormal world. There's been a lot that's been going on in the paranormal world. And I've heard a lot of interesting debates and discussions over the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I have uh, been avoiding is getting myself wrapped up in any of this stuff. I just don't have the time for it right now. And I don't have the patience. And I think I would probably start lashing out at people if I inserted myself into some of these debates and discussions. But the debates and the discussions that I'm hearing are about such infinitesimal parts of the paranormal. I think I said that right. But, you know, just little small parts of what it is that we do here. And I had the chance last Saturday to speak at the Katuit Library. And I talked about Edgar Allan Poe and his ghosts, his ghost and the ghosts that are surrounding him, uh, on you know the eve of his birthday, a couple days before his birthday. And I tied that into a lot of the recurring themes that we see in ghostly reports. And it got my mind turning a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, there's so many other debates that should be happening and so many other discussions that should be happening around the nature of the paranormal, that we're wasting our time with some of these other topics that we're choosing to discuss. Because all we're really doing is we're putting divisive lines through the people that are doing the research. One of the debates that's been raging, or, or has been raging over the last couple of weeks, and I didn't get involved in it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I talked to the people that were involved privately, but I, I didn't you know, swoop in and try to be the moderator. But there was a a battle going on between a couple of female investigators. And one of those female investigators is in full support of the idea of being able to... How can I put this uh, in a way that kind of accurately describes her feelings? Uh, Being able to sexualize her image in order to increase awareness of who she is, if that makes sense. So being an attractive woman and being somebody who is involved in fashion and beauty and makeup and all that to some degree, and uh, and also an actress to some degree, you know, all these little pieces of a career that are starting to come together. And with all of that, she has no problem utilizing her physical appearance as a way to draw attention to her work. And the debate started because she's talking about that on you know, one of these internet blog talk shows, and another female investigator took umbrage with that and you know, felt like that was a negative and that that would set back women in the field of the paranormal. So the discussion and the debate that surrounds it is whether or not a woman should sexualize her image in this field. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know, they're fighting about this. But it it actually, it goes beyond just what they're saying. It could be something that translates into other debates and differences between people. 
For example, if you are a scientist that works in this field, should you use the fact that you are a scientist to make people take more, take what you say with a, a little bit larger of a grain of salt? Or if you are in law enforcement, should you advertise that fact as a way to kind of legitimize, legitimize what it is that you're doing? You know, so there's all these different aspects of who the investigators are that are coming into whether or not they should include that in, in the profile of who they are as an investigator, in the public eye, in the public perception of who they are as an investigator. And here's what I think about this. Why are we wasting time talking about that when we still haven't figured out what it is that these scientists, law enforcement officials, uh, models, actresses, whatever, are actually going out there and looking for. We're missing the whole point. A long time ago in science, the scientists of the era of the time got so wrapped up in a lot of that minutia and the politics and all that, they missed some very important discoveries. And they laughed at some very important work. People like Newton, for example, outsiders. Until, you know, you make a discovery and then everybody starts hailing you. But that's what I find to be probably, you know, as we're getting into, you know, year 11 of the show coming up. I want us to take a little bit more of a different role in the paranormal over the next 10 years or however long we're on the air. And I want us to become less of the instigators of these debates amongst the people, about the people. And I want us to take more of kind of an ombudsman role in the paranormal. I want us to kind of take an overarching view of everything and start piecing all these little pieces together. Because a lot of you out there are doing a very good job of bringing a lot of pieces of the puzzle to the table. But nobody's really taking those pieces and putting them together to see what it's a picture of. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not putting us in the lofty position of saying, well, we can be the ones that can take that and figure it out for you and tell you exactly what it is that's going on. But I just think somebody needs to step forward and say, who wants to help put all these pieces together and see how they fit? And who wants to not be afraid to say, well, wait a minute, that's not a corner piece there. You, you got this wrong. Stop trying to force that piece into that piece. So I'm not trying to say that this show is going to serve as an authority or or as a, a, a dominant voice in the paranormal, but I just think somebody needs to take a step back and look at the forest for the trees and I think we've been around long enough that people would trust our opinions in that. So that's what I'm going to try and put as the focus. And, and of course, Chris Balzano as the content director, Stephanie Burke co-host, and Matt Moniz as well. We all are coming up with guest ideas and topics and everything. But I think that that's kind of, that's kind of the theme for this year. I want to take it back to the basics of what it is that we used to talk about on this show. And I want to try to make it more accessible to those who maybe aren't in the paranormal and give you more of a forest for the trees approach. Hopefully you agree with that idea. You can let us know, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. Let us know if you agree with that direction. You can also text us, 67664, and make sure you include WBSM at the beginning of that text. And now we, we actually have a text that has come in now 
uh, in the last couple of minutes, and a text from the uh, from the 508. Uh, and the question is, is there any possibility of having demonologists like Ralph Sarchi or Samantha Harris on as guests? Well, I've actually reached out to Samantha Harris in the past, and uh, I would love to have her on the show. We will definitely try and work that out sometime soon. And Ralph Sarchi and I have been trying <laughs> to find a date that works for both of us. I'm not kidding you. Probably for the entire, well, not the entire time that this show has uh, been on, but as long as Ralph Sarchi has been on Facebook. We've been trying to find a time that works for him to come on this show. Because, as I've, I've told this story before, but it was Beware the Night was one of the first books I read when we first started doing the show. And immediately I contacted his co-author, Lisa Collier-Cool, and I said, you need to help us get Ralph on the show. And Lisa tried for us, even back then, in the early days, the first couple of weeks of the show, trying to help us get Ralph Sarchi on the program. And it wasn't until he got on Facebook and I found him on Facebook that we started communicating and, and, and trying to find a time and a date that works. And now we both work for the same television network uh, and, and things are starting to come together and we just need to make sure that we can find a Saturday night that works for both of us. But we will definitely, absolutely, 100%, I promise you, have Ralph Sarchi on at some point in 2016. And we will pay more attention to demonology this year. The problem that I've always had with that is in trying to bring in different voices in the field of demonology, it's hard to know who has the experience. Once upon a time, there was a couple of different groups that I relied upon for information about demonologists. But those groups have kind of had their own problems and, and fallen by the wayside. So now when I have a case, of course, and when something comes up where somebody needs a demonologist or somebody with that type of a background, I do what I've always done, and I refer to them to Keith Johnson. Because Keith Johnson is my go-to guy for anything dark or demonic. And even if Keith doesn't have the time or the ability to take on the case, he is much more tapped into that community, no pun intended, than I am. He is much nearer to that side of things, pun completely intended, than I am. So I ask Keith to always help in the, that regard. But when it comes to just having conversation, I want to bring in different voices. I need to find people who can certainly join us and share different outlooks and different approaches. Just like I never want to have week after week of paranormal investigators that all say, think, and believe the same things. For those of you who are just discovering the show over the last couple of years or so, when you're going back and trying to listen to all the archives, you'll realize, as you binge listen to this show, that in the early days we had paranormal investigators on. We would talk to paranormal groups about who they were and what they did. But a few years into the show, we took a sharp turn in a different direction. And groups will always contact me still to this day or contact Chris or Stephanie or whoever and say, you know, we'd like to have our group come on and be featured on your show. Well, we don't really do that anymore. Because back when we did that, there was maybe three or four paranormal groups in Massachusetts that we knew of. And now there's so many individual groups and, and, and individual investigators that we could never feature everybody. So it's not really fair anyway. And second of all, no offense to you investigators, but you all start to sound the same after a while. Because you're researching the same theories, 
you're researching with the same approach, you're utilizing the same equipment, you're overlapping on a lot of the same cases and, and locations, and in the end, it really becomes just a big alphabet soup of acronyms. So it's not that what happens to you when you're out there and investigating isn't profound and isn't interesting, but the problem is it isn't unique. And I'm going to tell you something. That's a good thing. You don't want to have all your experiences be unique in the pursuit of the paranormal, in trying to prove that a ghost exists. You want it to be the same as someone else's experience because that's repeatability. And repeatability under control is what science will accept as proof. So don't get upset when another paranormal group goes to a place that you've gone to repeatedly. Don't get upset when they investigate the same way as you, and don't be upset when they come out with the same findings. That's a good thing. But in terms of radio, it's not all that interesting. When you've got the same people coming on all the time, or, or the same stories being shared over the air all the time, then people will just tune out. Look at this show. Let's take a look at another long-standing institution. Okay? Law and Order. Law and Order follows a pretty same basic, simple format from week to week. There's the law, and there's the order. I mean, that's pretty much the way that it's gone for well over 20 years now. But it's the individual stories and experiences that make each episode so unique and interesting. And that's what we need to get back to. That's what we need to focus on. We need to have more of those type of stories. And and then some of the things that we need to get back to, too. I mean, we can have issue-oriented shows. We can have people-oriented shows. But the idea is that we have to have a good balance. And we have to take chances. We haven't taken chances on this show in a long time. And I apologize for that. Because a lot of you started tuning in because we took chances and we were different than other paranormal shows. And I apologize if we've become complacent and even to some degree lazy about the way that we put this show together. Because we always wanted to be pushing the envelope and on the cutting edge of the discussion at least. So, And that's something that Chris and I have been talking about and that Chris has been adamant about getting back to. And so he wants to put together shows like the one we did with the Roswell Smackdown, where Matt Moniz and John Horrigan went round for round against each other in whether or not Roswell was true or a hoax. We have all these different ideas, all these different plans and thoughts that we want to put into effect, and we promise we are going to be rejuvenated here coming up in what will be our 11th year of the show. Going to take a quick break, come back in just a moment with more. If you want to get in touch with us, 508 996 0500 877 996 1420. And also the text line 67664. Just include WBSM at the beginning of your text so that we can see the message. You can also message us on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive, or you can email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. No excuses not to get involved in the show tonight. Going to need your help getting through it because, you know, I have to 
keep my eye to the window and see what's going on with the storm. And I, I would love to hear your paranormal stories. As I said, you know, we're, we're going to focus on having differences in our guests. But tonight, it's all on the table. Whatever you want to call up and discuss, if you have something coming up uh, that you want to let us know about, paranormally speaking, that would be great. Whatever we need to do uh, to help inform the paranormal world here on this stormy Saturday evening. Be back in just a moment with more Spooky South Coast here on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. And welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg flying solo tonight. No Stephanie Burke, no Matt Moniz, no Matt Costa, no Chris Balsano, just myself. And, of course, you as well. You can call in at 508-996-0500, if you want to call toll-free. Or you can text us, 67664. Just include WBSM at the beginning of your text so that we can see it. And I was talking before about the need to have uh, some more wide-ranging topics and, and and to find uh, some different ideas and different angles to take this paranormal discussion. And I think that we should all look at that. You know, we should all be doing the same thing in our research and in our investigations. I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there who have become too complacent and need to shake things up. One of the ways that people are shaking things up is by finding new equipment all the time. And I've noticed that there seems to be a lot of new ideas in terms of the apps that people are coming out with. I mean, I'm part of a group on on Facebook where we discuss the new apps that the developers are working on. They share, you know, beta testing of of some of their stuff, and a lot of it is coming out with uh, some some new approaches and new ideas, and a lot of it is finding ways to fine-tune what's already out there. And I think that as that becomes more accepted, that's going to be the easiest way for us to see some new information. Now, keep in mind that when you're dealing with a lot of these ghost apps, and most of them are, are through uh, you know ghost box type approaches. So basically, we're taking sound banks and putting it out there as a way for spirits to manipulate those sound banks in order to communicate with us. But what's great about that technique and that approach is that it's really, really easy to distribute that once it's done and to get it out there. So these aren't physical boxes that Frank Sumption is building in his basement workshop and then mailing out to paranormal investigators and, and actually also, I should point out, determining, uh, determining on his own who should get one and who shouldn't. No offense to Frank. But that's how he doled out the boxes. At first, whenever anybody asked him for one, he'd give them one. He'd build them one. But then as everybody started asking him for one, he had to look and see who it was that deserved one, in his opinion. And so I think that a lot of people maybe try to find new ways to get one, or maybe those who had one saw a way to make a quick buck or what have you. But it, you know, it kind of soiled up the field for a little while. But the great thing about the apps is once these people are done developing them, they just put them out there a lot of times for free or for very short money, 
and that gives investigators instant access to that technology. And I haven't seen one app developer yet, at least the ones that I've been dealing with, who has created an app, put it out there, and said, here you go, this is going to do everything you need it to do, and that's the last one I'm going to do. They're constantly tinkering them, they're constantly updating them, finding new ways of sometimes doing a whole overhaul and coming out with a new version. But it's very active in the way that they are trying to perfect what it is that they're working on. And they invite criticism. They invite technique. They invite ideas. They invite people to contact them and say, you know, this is how I use it. Maybe you should look into developing some options toward that. And it becomes much more organic and much more created amongst those in the field. One thing that drives me crazy, and I'm not going to name any names, but one thing that drives me crazy is when somebody comes out and says, you know, I'm the end-all, be-all, don't listen to these other people, and only utilize the products that I recommend. Because that's just asinine. When we do Legend Trips events, we bring a, a, a smorgasbord of different types of equipment for you to use. We bring a lot of different stuff, and the idea behind that is you have to find what works for you. You have to find what it is that you like utilizing and that you like, you feel comfortable with. And the thing that drives me crazy about this now is people are still going about it the wrong way. They're trying to go out and find the one piece of equipment that's going to help them come up with the evidence, the proof, the data that they can share with everybody else and convince everybody else that it's real. And I think that that's the wrong approach. That's a mistake. Because you're not going to have everybody agree with you. You're not going to have everybody believe. You're not even going to have a majority of the people believe. If you take a case and you have, you you take it on the basis of a, a private residence asking you or a private business asking you, the only person that you have to prove anything to is that person. And it's become so wrapped up in, can I get on TV? Can I make a documentary and sell it? Can I do this? Can I do that? And it pollutes everything. If that's your mindset and that's your intention, it's going to pollute the way that you do your work. Now, I've always been very upfront in the fact that I am not in this to prove the paranormal to anybody. I am not in this to call myself a scientist. I'm not even really in this to call myself an investigator. Just other people happen to have utilized that description to describe me and introduce me, and I, I haven't really fought it. But I've always looked at my job as I'm kind of a journalist documenting what everybody else is doing. And sometimes I go a little gonzo with journalism and I put myself into the situation. But I've always looked at it as, you know, my job is to be a voice for what's being done or what needs to be learned or shared. And as part of that, I've never had any qualms of telling people, no, no, I'm an entertainer more than I'm an investigator. My job is to talk on the radio or 
research for a television show or write a book or what have you. And I don't pretend that it's anything more than that. I am a radio talk show host. The paranormal just happens to be the, the topic that I'm the most passionate about and that I, I want to discuss and I want to share with people and I want to learn more about and hear more about. But I don't go around with any kind of false delusions of grandeur thinking I'm going to change the world. I did at one point. At one point I thought I might be the person just as much as anybody else was. That could prove things. I just felt that if I did the work and, and kept looking, it could be me. Why, why couldn't it be me? I'm not saying I had the ego of thinking it was going to be me. But I just thought that that should be my goal. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel that way at all. My goal now is to just keep people open-minded about this and keep people learning and keep people interested and keep people discovering. That's why I say all the time when I go to Legend Trips events, I don't have to be the one doing the investigating. I can just stand in the room and watch everybody else do the investigation if that's what they want to do. Because my job is to help people have those experiences. To put them in a place, a location where they can. To show them some techniques that might help them come in contact. To give them some equipment that might help them come in contact. And it's a very personal thing when it happens. It's never, ever going to be something that's going to happen to everybody all the time. I don't think that. I don't think it's possible. I think everybody in the room can hear something, but not everybody's going to be convinced of exactly what it was that they heard. I think that sometimes you're supposed to have that one person that says, uh, no, wait a minute, I don't think so. Uh, wait a minute, that's, you know, I heard something, but I'm not sure it's the same thing you're all saying that it was. Because otherwise, we can lose the grip on reality. And let's face it, for a lot of us, it's tenuous already. For a lot of us, we're barely hanging on to reality. We're barely hanging on to, you know, when you spend enough time talking to people that aren't there, you really start to question your own sanity. And I've seen people say, I'd rather spend time around the ghosts. I'd rather talk to the ghosts than the living people. And while that's noble to some regard, it's also scary. Because what does that say about not only people in general, not only people in society, and we can talk about what we think is going on in society these days. I talk about it all the time on Saturday mornings. But what does that say about the people that are surrounding you in your chosen endeavor? What does it say about the people that you might kind of be stuck networking with. And that's the issue. The, the, the personality of the paranormal is the problem. And I can talk about the personality of the paranormal because I have a mic screen now, so I can pop those peas. The personality of the paranormal is something that needs to be looked at, and it needs to be addressed. And I think we can make it into, uh, you know, we can kind of personify the pursuit of the paranormal a little bit and say 
we're putting certain attributes to it that were never our intention. The biggest attribute problem is that people look at it as a moneymaker. We live in a capitalist society. You should never devote that much of your time, that much of your energy, your resources, and your own money into something that people are going to take advantage of. And I mean just in utilizing it, not like overly taking advantage of you, but in utilizing a service or, or an endeavor that you are providing without you gaining some kind of benefit from it. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be intellectual. It could be the emotional connection of helping a spirit or helping a living, per living person deal with a spirit. You have to get something out of what you're putting into it. And I think that that's gone for a lot of people, too. There's a certain faction that it's money or nothing. I'm in this to be successful and be popular and be a celebrity and make some money. Or I consider myself a failure. I wake up every day, every morning, except maybe Sundays. But every other morning I wake up, and the first thing I do, I won't say the first thing that I do because, you know, no need to get into some toilet discussion. But the second thing that I do is I take a shower. And in that shower, I ponder things. And I ponder, a lot of the times, the nature of the paranormal right now. And I think to myself, is that something that I really want to be associated with anymore? Is that something that I want to be tying myself into? I was on an, an internet podcast, an internet streaming show earlier this week. And the guests are, you know, the, the guests are, I mean, the guests, the hosts are uh, great people, and we had a fantastic discussion. But one of the questions that came up with was, Tim, you work in paranormal television. How can we get into that? How, how does somebody get into it? And, I, and, and the only answer I could give them is the answer I give everybody that asked me. Don't. If you're in this for the pursuit of things, and, and for the, the knowledge, the information, all of that other satisfaction. Being on television could ruin a lot of that for you. Becoming a name could hurt you. I mean, it's nice to be paid to go to a convention instead of having to pay to get in. But let me ask you this. We all have, you know, the valedictorian that, that gives us the speech when we graduate high school that tells us to do what we love, right? And that's what people always say. You have to do what you love. And I've been lucky enough to have a lot of jobs in my life that are things that I thought that I would love and that I did love at the beginning. But inevitably, over time, no matter how much you love it, it still becomes work. And if at some point you're ever obligated or required to do it, it loses a little bit of the luster. 
Now, I could happily get up every day and come in here and talk, or every night, or every afternoon, whenever they wanted me to. I, I could do that, and I could be happy doing that for the rest of my life. But that doesn't mean there won't be some days that I wake up and say, oh, man, I just don't know if I can go in there and do that today. My throat's killing me. I don't know if I can sit down that long or stand up that long, depending on how you want to do the show. Uh, or a night like tonight, where I got a half mile from my house and thought, I should really turn around. And those are the times that even though you're doing something that you love, it becomes work. And I think that that happens in the paranormal for a lot of people. And you just fight your way through it, and you move on. But when you start getting involved in being on a television show or or being on the lecture circuit or all of this stuff, as you do that, a lot of the times it can seem like work. And, of course, the love and the fun will far outweigh it. But that doesn't mean there still aren't some days that you're just going to be like, oh, of all the days. Last Saturday, as I mentioned, I had a... a lecture at the Katuit Library. Because stupid me, when I'm looking at my winter schedule, said to myself, oh, January 16th should be a fine day. I shouldn't have anything else going on there. Not thinking that that would have been the AFC championship game. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, AFC divisional round game. Which would essentially mean a game for the New England Patriots, which I had picked to go back to the Super Bowl, so obviously I expected that they would get to that point, uh, but I booked a lecture for the same day as a playoff game. Now, of course, I had no idea that far in advance whether they would play Saturday or Sunday, but I still should have like factored that in, but I didn't. So I had to last Saturday wake up after working two jobs on Friday and for most of last week I had to wake up. I had to come in here at 6 o'clock in the morning, be on the air from 6 to 9 a.m., go home. I had to write a pretty significant story that I was finishing up for the Standard Times on a young man and his courageous fight with cancer. Then I had to write uh, one of the, one of the youth sport, quick youth sports thing, finish up my presentation that was for the library that afternoon, drive to the Cape, give that lecture, and then fly to Foxborough to cover the New England Patriots game, and then write about that game afterward. It was a long day. And it was all things that I loved doing, but you put it in that situation, and all of a sudden, it feels like work. And when you show up to the hotel to pick up your parking pass for the stadium, and it's not there, and it throws a monkey wrench in all your plans, and you have to make all these alternate plans, and... You end up parking in the parking lot anyway, and then you're worried about if you're going to get towed. All that stuff, it turns it into work. At least for that day, at least for a short time. The halftime lobster roll made up for it, but still. And that's going to happen to anybody that gets in this field. There's going to be a time when you're just not feeling it. And if you commit to being on a television show or commit to lecturing or writing a book or any of this stuff, there are days where it's going to feel like work, and it'll probably happen more often in that regard than it would otherwise. So you have to take that into account if you pursue that path. You have to take into account how much do I love this? How much do I want to wake up every 
Saturday and drive 150 miles to go on an investigation, stay up all night, drive home Sunday, be completely wiped out and get up for work Monday morning? Or how many more years do I want to take my tax return and go out and buy a whole bunch of equipment for that year? Or, you know, do I want to plan my family vacations around what haunted locations I can check out in the area? You know, these are all the things that you have to take into account, all the things that you have to think about. And that's just in the pursuit of ghosts. Which, you know, mainly as I'm talking about the paranormal, that's what I'm referring to. But there are other avenues of research that could require even more sacrifice. Unless you are a scientist that has access to a lab, if you are looking for Bigfoot tracking down cryptids, you're going to have not only the cost of trying to get things analyzed, but the weight that's involved in trying to get things analyzed. The time. And time is really the biggest resource that we have. And that's really what I weigh everything on more than anything. Do I have the time? Would I have the time? And is it worth it to make the time? So that has to be a consideration. Because time is the one thing that everybody only has a limited amount of. And eventually it will run out on all of us. So you have to determine how much of that time you want to spend doing something. And, and you also have to keep a balance for, just for your own sanity. And I had mentioned before people who spend too much time talking to the ghosts and not to the living. And if that can have any kind of effect on them. But what about the time that you're spending away from your own family, going out and helping somebody else's family? People don't take that into consideration. People don't think about that. They just think, well, I'm doing a good thing here so my family will understand. But that might not always be the case. And I think coming up in the next hour, I want to talk a little bit about some of the negative things that can happen to you when you put yourself into this field, when you put yourself into this area of research, when you start going to haunted places and dealing with haunted people. What can that do to you? How can that affect you? And maybe you have a story that you'd like to share about how it did affect you. You can give us a call at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also text us, 67664. Just include WBSM at the beginning of your text. But we can totally go down that path if you want to. I want to. I want to hear from you, and I want to discuss it. And we will do so coming up after the news. We're going to take a break for all of the information, and now we'll see if we have any storm information we have to update everybody with as well. We'll be back in just a bit.
hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, flying solo here in the storm. I'm not. Thankfully, I'm not in the storm. I'm inside the Spooky Studio, but the storm is happening outside. Stephanie Burke, Matt Costa, Matt Moniz, Chris Balzano, they all have the night off. It's just me here tonight, but that's okay because I have you out there as well. And you can call in at any point during the program, 508-996-0500, if you want to call in toll-free. And you can also text us now on the all-new WBSM text line. It's at 67664. And you have to use the keyword WBSM when typing in a text to us. So uh, I'll just walk you through the process real quick. Open up your phone. Open up your text messaging app. When it says who you want to send it to, type in the number 67664. And it's a good idea to save that as a contact. Save that as the WBSM text line or the Spooky South Coast text line, whatever it will be for you to remember. And then you just text that to us. 67664 is the number. And type in your message down in the message box. But just make sure you start that message off with four letters, WBSM, then a space, and then your message. And it will all filter right to us. And, of course, please, if it's anything spooky, South Coast, and paranormal-related, only text it to us during the show on Saturday nights. We do have the opportunity to kind of check it here and there during the week, but really you're just going to bother the other hosts and, and screw them all up if you text them any paranormal stuff during the rest of the week. So try to save it for Saturday while we're on the air, but certainly text us at 67664. Just start it off with WBSM. And, of course, you can also reach us on Twitter. We are at SpookySC. We also have individual Twitter accounts. But the easiest way to get our attention is to use the hashtag SpookyLive. Because when we see that hashtag, it all filters right into us. And we can see it all right there in front of us. So highly recommend that you utilize that. If you have access to Twitter, just use the hashtag SpookyLive, and that will get our attention. And, of course, if you have something more that you want to share in, in more than 140 characters, you can always email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So there's so many ways to interact with the show. You have no excuse not to. You can watch us on Spooky TV. Just go to SpookyTV.com. The Spooky South Coast website is currently down for a redesign. But if you go to SpookyTV.com, you can watch the show as you listen to it. And you can see just the one webcam that's pointed directly at me tonight because there's nobody else here. Maybe we should have uh, maybe should have put a separate camera, a close-up camera, just on my beard. It's getting pretty long. You can't really hear that over the radio. You can't really see it over the radio, so you have to tune in to Spooky TV to see the beard. Or just follow me on social media. I'm posting up some pictures. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 are the numbers. But as I mentioned, I want to kind of get into a little bit this hour about what happens when you pursue the paranormal. And if you have things that attach themselves onto you or or things that will influence your life outside of the investigation, because that question came up this week when I was being interviewed on someone else's paranormal talk show about if I've had that happen and, and what I think about it happening and how people can protect themselves from having that happening. So I really do think that that's something worth discussing and sharing it, and maybe you've had some experiences like that that you want to share with us. You can call in as well and do that. Uh, but real quick, I was thinking, because it's been a while, that maybe, just maybe, 
we should get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. And we have one story that came from the Daily Mail in the UK, which... Doesn't the Daily Mail always have the best stories? Doesn't the Daily Mail always come up with some crazy stuff? Well, they have a story right now. Have aliens become extinct? Experts claim that even if extraterrestrial life formed on other planets, it would have already died. They seem to think that if there was life on other planets, it would likely be brief and would have died out quickly. While many planets could have potentially been habitable, and may have once teamed with microbial life, runaway heating or cooling would have left their surfaces inhospitable. So part of this theory is that, yes, there might have been something somewhere else, but it never would have gotten to the point where, say, mankind has on Earth, because we have just the right, proper conditions for life, and that no other planet does. They've had too many extreme changes in the atmosphere and the temperature to have ever evolved anything beyond microbes. Well, the only thing I can say about that is we're talking about life as we know it. And that's a huge ego assumption right there, because what if it's life not as we know it? What if it's something that's different and needs different ways to survive than we do? What if the reason why an alien race hasn't come to Earth and stayed here is because this planet is inhospitable to them? I just feel like there's more to that story than just simply saying, yes, there could have been life, but it never would have reached the point that we have, because we are the best. And speaking of science... If I can get to the story. Oh, boy. I've been, I just got paywalled by the Telegraph in the UK. I just got paywalled. Well, CERN was actually able to move particles this week at light speed. I, I, don't, I don't have 39 euros per month to pay for this. Oh, man. Well, anyway, CERN this week apparently move some particles at the speed of light. What does that mean? To be able to move matter at light speed? It means everything. If they could find a way to harness that technology, they could move things to far distant parts of the galaxy. We're, ta we're talking like complete and total interstellar. Like the movie Interstellar could come to life. The problem is, is the matter that we have on this planet, and especially the matter that makes us up, could we withstand being moved at the speed of light? Could we survive that? But light speed will make interstellar travel possible. will make time travel possible. 
light speed would be, without a doubt, the biggest accomplishment in mankind's scientific history. That and when Albert Einstein put bubbles into beer. That didn't really happen. That's just a that's a 90s movies reference for for all you kids out there that might not actually remember what it is that I'm talking about. Check out the movie Young Einstein. It's a fascinating and completely inaccurate account of the early days of Albert, Albert Einstein. So there you have it. That's the week and weird for this week. If you ever have any stories that you want to share with us, any stories that you think are just weird enough to qualify as the week and weird, well, all you have to do is send them to us on Twitter. Hashtag us. Send them to us at SpookySC. Email them to us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, whatever it takes. Get the story over to us, and if we share it out, we will give you credit for finding it for us. I know it's not much, but it's the best we can do. All right, so uh, why don't we pot that down and the weak and weird, and uh, now we can jump back into that discussion, as I was saying before, about if... Pursuing the paranormal, and especially putting yourself into a negative experience, a negative haunting, a negative environment, whatever, if that can have an effect on you, and if it can follow you home, and if it can influence your life. I've heard of a lot of incidences where people were on an investigation, and something negative jumped in, and something negative took over, whether it be took over communication, took over uh, the measurement of certain factors with different devices, or in some cases took over the physical bodies of the investigators or, or the emotional or mental capabilities of the individual investigator. And you have to ask yourself, if you're putting yourself in harm's way like that, couldn't it not continue to play out even after you've left? And it doesn't have to be, you know, that something possesses you and it leaves you leaves your body on the investigation. You go home and then two days later it possesses you again. I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about just the toll that it can take on you after it's happened. Now, there's one group that's put themselves in harm's way more often than not, and that would be the guys from Ghost Adventures. And if you read Nick Groff's book, and you really get, you know, when you're reading it, if you really pay attention to some of the things he's talking about, some of the themes that he's talking about, but in that book he describes how he felt following an investigation, it's not just that something was attached to him or or possessing him or even following him, but he just talks about the toll and the drain that it takes on your body to surround yourself with that. And I found that fascinating as I was reading the book because no matter what, if you go to a place where there's a lot of negativity and a lot of darkness, and I don't mean physical, like absence of light darkness, I just mean like a dark presence, a dark atmosphere, that's got a way on you. 
that's got to affect the way that you see the rest of your life and the rest of your time away from that place, too. It's human nature to absorb some of our surroundings. We are supposedly sympathetic and empathetic creatures overall, some of us more than others, some of us not much at all. But how can we not take away a little piece of every place that we go to as investigators? How can we not carry some of that with us afterwards? And if you do that, if you go to those places, how can you avoid having that happen? How can you cleanse yourself, so to speak? It doesn't have to be an actual ritualistic cleansing, but how can you kind of relieve yourself of that burden when you go? I try to compartmentalize any investigation that I'm on. I try to cut it all down and make it so that it exists to me just in that time frame of when it happened. So yes, I'll be reviewing things and thinking about it and putting together conclusions and everything afterwards. But I'm talking, when I come home from an investigation, when I open my front door, walk into the house, take off my shoes, when I get ready and I crawl into bed, I'm making sure that that's the furthest thing from my mind. Even if it's 4 o'clock in the morning and I'm dead tired and i got to get up at 7 or 8, I still might sit down and watch like a half an hour comedy show. Or I might sit there on the couch and, and open up my phone and, and, and read a pro wrestling website, which I read daily. But I might read that or read Rolling Stone or something just to take my mind away from what I just was dealing with, good or bad. And it's always worked for me, and I've never had a problem. And I've never felt like anything attached itself to me or followed me until we did Face Your Fear Night at Fort Tabor this past fall. During that night, when we encountered something that you know we felt was pretty negative toward us, it might not have been a, you know a demonic entity, uh, so to speak, but it, it was something that definitely had bad intentions for us as a group. And I remember going home, and I've, I've told this story before, so if you've heard it, you know, indulge me for a moment. But I went home and I went to bed, and an hour after I had fallen asleep, I woke up to searing, searing pain in my calf. And so, you know, I, I get some Charlie horses now and again in my sleep. It happens. It happens to everybody. And so I just had, it was the worst Charlie horse I'd ever had. So I woke up. I got up out of bed. I literally crawled from my bedroom to the kitchen by grabbing onto the walls and the furniture and anything that I could to kind of hold myself up and pull myself along. Thankfully, I have a, a, a one-story house. And I was able to get to the kitchen I drank a big glass of water, and I ate a banana. Because usually when you get a leg cramp, you know you want to make sure that you're hydrated and you have a little potassium. So I figured that would kind of alleviate the pain, and it did. 
the pain subsided, and I was able to walk under my own power back to my bed. Went back to sleep. An hour later, exactly an hour later, I should stress, I woke up again. Now, I, I had not fall, I, I had fallen back asleep almost instantaneously. And when I tell this story, people always say, well, you really can't fall asleep instantaneously, but I do. I have very, very bad sleep apnea, and I have narcolepsy. And when I close my eyes and go to sleep, I fall into REM4 immediately. They've tested me. I've had many sleep tests. And when I take the tests, I close my eyes, and I drop into REM4, the deepest stage of sleep. I don't ramp into it. I don't go through the process like other people do. So I know I was asleep for the better part of an hour. But when it was one hour exactly after that, I woke up to that same pain, but now in my other leg. And keep in mind, I had just drank a huge glass of water and eaten a banana. So you would think that that would stave off, hopefully, any other similar pain from happening. But this was in the other leg. So I got up and I went through the process again. It was so much harder that time to actually get up. It hurt so much worse. And the other leg was still throbbing a little from when that had happened. And my legs bothered me for days afterwards. Usually you get a Charlie horse, it goes away, and it's done. You might get a little bit of a twitch for a few minutes, but then it goes away and, and you don't really feel the after effects of it. But this bothered me for days. And so the next morning, I was texting back and forth with Stephanie, who was right there next to me during the investigation when all this stuff was going down. And I said, you know, I, th I think something might have actually happened as a result of what went on. And the exact same thing had happened to her. And, of course, we did Face Your Fear Night on back-to-back -back weekends, and this was the first weekend. So the second weekend, we went back, and, and somebody who had been at the first event had bought another ticket. And come to find out, it had happened to her as well. And she had been in that area with us, interacting with, the, with that entity, or, or those entities, I should say. So whatever this attack was, it happened to three of us. And it happened to somebody who is completely out of the Spooky South Coast Loop, you know, so it wasn't like it just happened to me and Stephanie and maybe, you know, Moniz or Andy or somebody. It happened to somebody who is not connected to us, which I found to be very interesting because it wasn't like it was just somebody that was kind of targeting us or something that was targeting just us. And I have no explanation for that. I mean, if there was something that we ate, if there was maybe something in the water that we had drank or, or something that we drank then maybe. But it would have been more than just the three of us that ex felt it and experienced it. I tried looking up what could cause those symptoms. You know, maybe maybe one, of, maybe we'd stepped on a nail and had tetanus and didn't even realize it. But no, there was nothing. Nothing I could figure out that would have made it happen that way. And so now that's going to be in the back of my mind every time I go on an investigation to just now be careful 
how much I push and how much I'm willing to run down that dark path. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. In fact, I kind of want to do it even more now just to see if it has the same type of an effect. But now it enters into my consideration when it never did before. And I think that a lot of people that are in the paranormal have to take that into account. I think that it, it looks interesting and cool and fun to a lot of folks. It looks like it's something that you want to try and do, and you see people do it on television, and you say, hey, I could do that. But the reality is, the difference is, when you're watching somebody else do it on television or reading about it in a book or reading about it or watching it online, there's a built-in protection in the fact that you're not directly involved. You're not there. Now, some would argue that just researching it, just reading about it, looking things up about it, talking to people that are involved in it, but never even having to go to a location on your own still could leave you open and susceptible to some kind of an attack. Still could leave you open and susceptible to something making its way into your life and having an influence over you. And that's one of the concerns that a lot of families that I know that are into this have, or, or people who have a family that are concerned about Like, okay, what if it doesn't attack me? What if it attacks my family? Because now it's something far worse because you at least asked for it. It's a different story when it goes after your family. 508-996-0500, Maybe you have a story like this that you want to share you can call in and do so. You can also text us, 67664. Just use WBSM at the beginning of your text. You can tweet it to us as well. Just type it up and use the hashtag SpookyLive or send it to us directly on Twitter at SpookySC. We'll take a break and then we'll come back with more Spooky South Coast here on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM. Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg with you, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in and discuss whatever you would like to discuss in terms of the paranormal. And uh, one of the questions that I have for you out there as we are talking about the state of the paranormal world right now and the fact that these negative entities can follow people around. Are we opening up in these haunted locations? And I, I know that uh, all my Ghost Stalkers fans out there are about to take a shot when I say this. 
Are we opening up portals by going to these places repeatedly? And are we inviting these entities to come into these places and, and to come into our realm and our world? That's one of the questions that I think might be able to be answered a little bit with the Ghost Ark device, which is supposed to be shipping as we speak. From what we heard, it was going to be coming out and shipped to people who purchased it between January 20th and January 30th. Well, it's January 23rd. And I know I haven't seen mine. I have not seen the prototype that I was supposed to be getting. But, you know, just taking a look at some of their social media. They have been saying over the last couple of days that they are shipping them out. looking for, you know, just any type of verification from anyone that they have actually received it. But uh, they do say that it should be shipped during the next couple of days. So I'll give them till the 30th to have them out before I make any kind of judgment. But it looks very much like they are active at this time in at least being on social media and replying to people, which hadn't been the case for a little while. So that's a good thing. But uh, we'll see. We'll see for sure. And I'll check in. I'll try and check in with them during the week and see if I can get a little bit more of an answer. But as much as the paranormal world is waiting for that to happen and waiting for a device that can help quantify all this and all in one unit and that's see that's the thing all the bells and whistles that the ghost arc can do is great i'm all for having one device to carry around and charge up and and knowing that everything is shielded and there won't be any cross-contamination from one function to another that's great but what i really like about it is the database that it will build because it's going to upload all that information to a centralized database that anybody else that goes to that location can see what readings you got and compare it with the readings they get from their own ghost arc. That, more than anything, is what I'm interested in, because it's almost like it's a forced sharing of data, whereas opposed to uh, you know other websites that have tried to start up where they want you to all submit all the findings of your investigation and catalog everything, which is you know a very noble effort, but also you're depending on people to do something that they already probably are doing in their free time and probably don't have enough time to do everything that they want to do in relation to it. Now you're asking them to take an extra step. But with the ghost arc, if it uploads it automatically, then all that information is up there. And it's good for you because you can put it up there and your whole team can download it and work on it instead of just one person having the, the, the recording or one person having the, the film or what have you. But all that's kind of the real side of the paranormal. And I think folks that talk about this stuff and are interested in this stuff are very excited for tomorrow when we get to go away from the real a little bit and get back into the unreal with the return of the X-Files. 
and it's just a six-episode event series. It's just Fox kind of satiating the fan base, giving Chris Carter the opportunity to continue the story. I feel kind of like, and I don't know, I haven't really uh, examined and read up on all of the plot lines that are happening in this six-episode event series. It looks like it's definitely not a Monster of the Week format. It's getting into the conspiracy and the mythology of the X-Files. But my guess would be that the fans and the people involved with the show are pushing for a third movie and that Fox is probably worried that it wouldn't make money because the the second movie was not that financially successful. So that maybe they're thinking, well, we had a lot of luck bringing back 24 as an event series. Maybe if we did the same thing with X-Files, they can tell the story and we don't have to commit to bringing back an entire series. But whereas 24 is kind of its own self-contained story in and of itself, I think with the X-Files, once it comes back, people are going to go the opposite way. And instead of being satisfied and satiated, they're just going to create even more. They're going to want it to come back, and they're going to want it to come back on a weekly basis with those Monster of the Week episodes. And certainly, it could be done in a way where they could pursue more than they could in the 90s because we we know more and the viewing audience knows more. They've been informed more about paranormal stuff through different paranormal programming. So the stories you could tell could be much richer and much deeper. Now I'll admit I have not watched every episode of The X-Files. I think I have like the last two seasons to watch. But... And what I have seen, ghosts was not something that was uh, explored all that much. There were ghost episodes, sure. But it was something that was not explored all that much. And I actually think there's the possibility that if... If it was done right, there could be an overarching X-Files mythos involving ghosts just as much as there is aliens. Hauntings could play just as much of a role as abductions. And one of the things that drives me the most crazy about the X-Files is the fact that while they track down all of these different individual weird anomalous events, they didn't really start to put them all together outside of the grander UFO conspiracy. They didn't draw a lot of conclusions and connections between the types of activity that they investigated. And so that would be an interesting way to go. And I think a lot of this was, you know, Chris Carter was trying to put out a product that was believable to everybody that was viewing it. Even if you didn't believe in all this stuff in our reality and in our existence, you could at least buy into the reality of it in the world of Mulder and Scully. But that when you started to try to apply that to this world, you know, hey, it's just an X-Files, it's just a TV show. 
but at least people were invested in the world of that TV show. And I think that the worry is that if you got a little too out there, then people might not believe that the truth was out there. So hopefully when it comes back tomorrow night, sure, it's going to explore the larger, grander conspiracy, but hopefully it also is willing to take some chances. And I understand that the whole series back in the 90s was a huge chance. But now I think the X-Files could be something even different while still being the X-Files. And that, that's that's the, the thing. You know, Fox is now looking at bringing back 24, but doing it with somebody completely different than Jack Bauer, no Kiefer Sutherland involved, and kind of tell the st- story through another person's eyes. And I think that's a mistake, and I, I really hope that that isn't what this leads to. I hope it doesn't lead to a revamping of the X-Files, but with, you know, millennials playing the Mulder and Scully roles. Maybe not with those names, but, you know, playing the, the role of the younger a- younger agents. Because with any anthology series like that, with any theories where... Any series where you have, in a lot of times, a self-contained story, you need to have some strong central characters that people can identify with and relate to. And I think that that's what made The X-Files work, is because people related to Mulder and Scully in the fact that, you know, one was a believer, one wasn't. You know, one was, you know, grounded in science, and one was willing to take a leap take a leap of faith and all that and I think that that plays into it especially if you look at kind of how they reflected the times that they were in they reflected the 90s to a great degree and I think that you would lose some of that magic if you just thrust another couple of people in there you know one of my favorite shows of all time is Quantum Leap But Quantum Leap would never have worked if I didn't really like the story of Sam and Al. You know, there was another series that was on, that was an anthology series in the 80s that, you know, my mom watched called Highway to Heaven. Now, I was a big Michael Landon fan as a kid. But Michael Landon's show, Highway to Heaven, was about him being an angel trying to get to heaven and Victor French driving him around and having to do all these missions. Basically, it was the same thing as Quantum Leap. Only instead of having time travel as the, the as the storytelling device, it was being an angel as a storytelling device. And I felt like that didn't work as well. Because a lot of the times the two main characters blended too much into the background of the story that was going on. And Mulder and Scully never really did that. You always got the story through their eyes. And at least knew what they thought about the stories. And I think that's what made people so adamant about them. And that's why I think you know, this is going to lead to something more than just six episodes. I certainly hope so. And I know that Scott Bakula is busy right now with NCIS New Orleans or whatever. And I know that the NCIS shows are wildly popular, but I hope each and every day that that show gets canceled and they talk him into coming back and doing another Quantum Leap. It was supposed to happen, and it never did. Uh, there is a, a text that uh, just came in at 67664. Uh, any thoughts on Oak Island? 
you know, I haven't watched the series. I haven't watched any of it. I'm sorry to say. There's a lot of shows that I haven't caught up on. Uh, Reality-based shows that I haven't been watching. I've been sticking to a lot of scripted stuff and sitcoms when I do watch TV lately. I, I think I was trying to get away from the reality TV stuff because I didn't want it to kind of influence me as I was trying to do work in that field. But from everything that I've heard about Oak Island, it sounds like it's both a fascinating show and a fascinating legend or curse in this regard. I know that Stephanie's very much into it. I know that Jeff Belanger was very much into it. And those are two people whose opinions I usually trust on things. All right, we have a call on the line. We'll try and squeeze that in. We do only have a, a few moments left in the program, but we'll squeeze in some calls if you want to call in at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Good morning. Oh, good morning. <laughs> so used to the morning show. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi, this is uh, Phyllis. I I uh, won one of the tickets to go see The X-Files when it was in the movie. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad it's coming back. Well, I mean, are you excited about it being only six episodes, though? Does it matter to you that it's going to be a limited run? No, I wish it would be back forever. <laughs> but you don't feel like this is kind of just, you know, uh, too little of an X-Files? I mean, is this is this going to be enough to at least satisfy you for a while? Yeah, it'll satisfy me for a while, but I I would like them to see him come back on. I mean, what do you look? I, I like those kind of movies. Like I liked Ghost Whisperer, mm-hmm. and I liked um, Oh, The Highway to Heaven too. Yeah, I mean, that's... yeah, I liked all those kind of programs. So I, I'm really excited. I was really, I was going, oh wow. <laughs> And you know what's funny is it kind of snuck up on me because I, I knew that it was coming back and everybody was like, oh, January 2016. And then, like, it dawned on me earlier today, actually. I was like, wait, it is January 2016. Oh, it starts tomorrow. You know, like, that's yeah. that kind of snuck up on me. So um, I know. But so I, I'm really excited. <laughs> so how are you going to watch it? Are you going to sit there in the living room with all the lights turned off and, and watch it in the dark? Yep. Nice. That's what I always do. <laughs> Well, I, I think that it's going to be one of those things where uh, people are going to react to it so strongly that it's going to lead to something uh, a little I bit more so. than just six episodes. And then another who, movie, even. Yeah, who, I was going to say, who knows? Maybe this will show them that at least a very, uh, at, le- at the very least, another movie would work. And you know what's great about this is even if Fox doesn't decide to do a show, but it, at least it has some popular ratings, you're going to see like Hulu come at them because they have a deal between Hulu and Fox. I wouldn't be surprised if Hulu says to them, we'd love to pay to produce an X-Files show. And then oh, yeah. that will still give you the opportunity to have it. So, Yeah, yeah, very good. And speaking <laughs> of Hulu, if you're into this kind of stuff, uh, they're going to have a great show coming out next month. At least it should be great. Uh, based on Stephen King's book, 11-22-63, where a teacher uh, or a guy time travels back into the 60s as a teacher, and he's trying to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, I like Stephen King, too. I got all his books. So, yeah, well, that was one of my favorite King books, and, and that should yeah. uh, be a great... And it's going to have James Franco, so, you know, I like him and everything, so... Yeah, yeah, it'll be really good. That's right. good. Well, you enjoy the X-Files, and uh, and, and certainly keep uh, keep watching it, and write to Fox and let them know you want more. Oh, yeah, thank you. Okay. Right. Have a good night. Yep, you too. Bye. And uh, we have uh, just a few moments remaining, but again, if you want to get in touch with us, 508-996-0500. 
Uh, I don't know if I'll actually be watching the X-Files live as it happens because um, I know my wife wants to watch it. And she'll probably be asleep because she gets up for work early like I do. Uh, so she's probably going to want to you know, get to bed early tomorrow night. And also, tomorrow night's the Royal Rumble, which is probably my favorite wrestling event of the entire year. I think a lot of people feel that way. So I'm probably going to be paying more attention to the Royal Rumble, I'm sorry to say. But I'll be DVRing the X-Files to watch on Monday. So I will have seen it by next Saturday, I'm sure. I hope. If not, I'll come over one of your houses and watch it. That does it for this week's show. We are just about out of time, but uh, we will be back next week as we will celebrate our 10th anniversary on the air here at WBSM. And we never would have thought we'd ever reach this far, but we have, and we've got 10 years of podcast archives out there for you to download and listen to and, and go back and I, I'm, I'm going to put the challenge out there to you all too. If you are going to go back and listen to them, write down a few thoughts about what you like about them and what you don't like about them and email them to us. Spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com And also if you do listen, we are of course this time of year we always look for some donations from everybody to help pay for our website and pay for our podcasting because that's something that we do independently of the station and uh, and of course we're not, we don't get paid for it so we want to have uh, some help if you can just make a donation to via PayPal. You can send it to Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com via PayPal, or you can go to GoFundMe.com slash SpookySouthCoast, and, uh, and that really just keeps things going on the website. We don't really take much beyond what it takes us to do that. So it's just a, a couple of hundred dollars each year between the, the site and the podcasting, and then we can keep offering all this as a free service to you because we don't want to go into a subscription model to be able to pay for this stuff because we want to keep providing that content for you for free. So, again, as I said, that does it for this week's show. We'll be back next Saturday for the big party, the big celebration, 10, 10 years on the air. Maybe we'll have some noisemakers and some cake, or at the very least, we'll probably have the gang together, or most of the gang anyway. Uh, so until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, everybody out there, stay safe in the storm, and remember to stay spooktacular. <laughs>